0: You know, it's just disappointing that people expect so little of politicians that when you get a sort of honest answer and a real response and a gracious response, people go nuts.
1: Well, it's rare, isn't it? Mm, so it we is
0: not do it don't. He sounds like an utter idiot. <laughs> and the court did the right thing. <laughs> well,
1: I agree. But it just fascinated me. For two days I was on the edge of my seat wondering whether the Dutch court would actually allow us to drop. Yeah, I'm going to, to Amsterdam. Hello, I'm really 39. You
0: clearly need to get a life. <laughs>
1: so this is just a lover's doomed story. It's evocative. It's beautifully constructed. We move from Scotland to Paris to St. Petersburg. It's a good
0: yarn. Every time I run into Luke Hodge, <laughs>
1: from then on... Oh, no, always, we didn't mean you. We, we meant always, someone else He's, he's always Luke.
0: very nice. We're always like, hi, Luke. <laughs> anyway, off I pop. Credibility zilch.
1: Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 65 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am Corrie Perkin and thank you for downloading our little podcast today and I'm here of course with my wonderful friend and fellow podster. Caroline Wilson. Hi, Carol. Well, it's a bit anticlimactic,
0: Corrie. What? Sitting, sitting well, here with me. Sitting here in the studio with. We've got lovely Miss Jane, but it's not quite the same as the Flying Duck Hotel with all our lovely friends and the music and the Christmas cocktail, which I understand you're about to give the recipe to later in the show. I will. Look, 100... Jane hasn't got a guitar. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Julia.
1: No Anna Anna, from the op shop. How
0: much fun did we have? It was a great day. It was, oh, it was a really great day. I'll, I'll
1: say a few thank yous later on. But to um, the don't shoot the messengers who missed out on our event. We did miss you. We hope that you shared some of the fun through our last episode and we are going to have one again next year. I think the idea is to kick off the footy season or something like that, but stay tuned next year. Carol, we've got so much to talk about. Um, Of course, you've been on yet another mini break, and I want to hear
0: all about the beautiful Tasmania. Work-inspired mini break, Corrie, as you know, and you were invited, (laughs) so don't start being snippy at the beginning of the show. Oh,
1: another (laughs) mini break. Um, And I do want to hear about Tassie. uh, In all seriousness, I do want to hear about uh, the campaign that you are running so brilliantly yourself to um, acquire. Tasmania's so own AFL team. Uh, we've also uh, got a bit to talk about regarding women in federal parliament, Caro.
0: And I want you to tell me about this. Under- women in any parliament, women <laughs> in state parliament in Victoria. There are still more Davids on the Liberal front front bench in Victoria than women. I know that's your
1: husband's favourite. And in uh, fact, there's quote, almost – I reckon it?
0: there's two or three times it. Now Heidi Victoria's lost her seat. It's a debacle anyhow. Oh, it is a debacle. And and the
1: member for Hawthorne overnight lost his
0: seat too, which is at the Shadow Attorney, uh, Shadow Attorney General. Anyway – John um, Pesuto, who spoke – uh, when a politician speaks nicely and graciously, people go – I mean, he, he was saying to Brendan, my husband Brendan, when they caught up the other day, you know, he's a lovely bloke and he would have been a good shot for the next Liberal leader – he, he can't believe the response he's had from that night on the ABC coverage of the telecast when he was asked how it felt to be watching his career yes. go down you know, on television. He was so honest and, and gracious. gracious. But, you know, it's just disappointing that people expect so little of politicians that when you get a sort of honest answer and a real response and a gracious response, people go nuts.
1: Well, it's rare, isn't it? So we don't.
0: Hey, um But you've got some surely you must have some apologies. Well
1: no, before that I do want I do want you to um tell me a little bit later about this whole underbelly lawyer saga because I've been drowning in the number of books that are coming in for Christmas into the shop, so I haven't raised my head to watch the telly, so you'll have to keep me up to speed on that. You have a screen recommendation and you are grumpy and I have a book. Um And I have a crush. And you have a crush. And you've
0: hijacked books again. And I reckon, I think you've got, or you've got the recipe, which we've already plugged.
1: Um, so you've got the grumpy though, which I think is really nice of me to give that to you because I have about 12 <laughs> of them alone today, including thank you to the man in the black Audi who just cut me off without putting his indicator on on my way. here, nearly killed you've me. You've
0: done it. When are you going to have a grumpy that does not involve, involve my are they, cars? <laughs> either poor car parking, But Caro, you and
1: I were talking about this the other day. At this time of year, people drive insanely. Yep. It's Christmas. Let's just take a big deep breath. You know, if you're going to be five minutes late for it to IKEA, it's not
0: going to kill anybody. Melbourne drivers are the most horrible drivers, among the most horrible drivers in the world, according to our oh. uh, European and Asian visiting friends. Well, I think everybody just needs to chill out.
1: So, as you said, housekeeping and apologies. I actually don't have any apologies, to you? You're not going to
0: apologise for. <laughs> I had the brains to keep quiet because, as you know, I was told to whisper sing in the school choir when I was in junior school. What were you thinking, singing along with Miss Jane? She was. Well, she a star. asked me to, <laughs> Corrie. I'm
1: not apologising for that. Were you aware that your microphone cow?
0: was turned on?
1: <laughs> well, she said, "Come on,
0: Corrie Perkin, back up." So I just went. Notice Ooh. you didn't ask me. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. All right, no, fair enough. Well, that was.
1: Why would we ask you? Why would I apologise for I helping think they, I think they called I it was taking one for
0: the team, <laughs> Sorry, I was in
1: <laughs> shock because the microphone wasn't supposed to be on. <laughs> all the bodies looked up aghast. I thought... Oh, no one can hear me, but of course it was being shouted around the entire courtyard, the beer garden at the Flying Duck. Well, a bit, anyway, of, a bit of
0: housekeeping. We were so appreciative to the Flying Duck who, who put on the entire function, which was wonderful of them, obviously to the Interchange Bench who sponsored the entire thing. And we'll talk about them a bit later when we do Crush of the Week. We have to thank Croc Media. I was going to say Croc
1: Media. And Craig Hutchinson came along and said a few words, which was lovely. And the lovely people from Breast Cancer Network Australia, we did get... Them a great check, but they were so gracious and so grateful and happy to be there. It was Darren really from
0: Croc Media, who did all the sound and the production and gave up a lot of his own equipment because he has a you know, the the subject of breast cancer, the illness is actually close to his heart. So he was lovely to come and do that. And, of course, all the fabulous people who turned up on not the most beautiful day, but they turned it into the most beautiful day. It was
1: great. And Miss Jane doing an OB, she was a little bit nervous. We had to give her a Valium injection,
0: but she got through it, didn't you, Janie? And um, sang at the end the with good, me as the Shadoopwap girl. The good news is Anna from the op shop went on to run the Sacred Heart Missions Christmas auction or Christmas sort of big auction sale thing they have, which began on the Thursday of last week. As we speak, they have raised over $60,000 for the Sacred Heart mission. It went nuts. They, they sold $6,000 worth of stuff on Tuesday Of this week, Corrie. It has been an unmitigated success.
1: Carol, absolutely fantastic. And as you know, when I moved house last week, I took Anna a few goodies in the back of my car, including these really rare species, two cushions, Uh, you know, sort of um, chemicals inside, like, um, you know, not feathers. What am I trying to say? Plastic, probably. Styrofoam
0: or something. Styrofoam, yeah.
1: And they were covered in the cheapest, nastiest Thai silk knockoff fabric you've ever seen. Sounded like
0: Tim Lane who took in his mobile phone cover.
1: (laughs) Twice. (laughs) So so, so we acquired this in one of the six moves in nine years. Some house we moved into, these cushions were here. When we moved the next time, the packer-uppers just put them in the truck. So I've been trying to offload them for the last sort of two moves. Anyway, they came to this house. I went, right, cushions, you are out of here. Took them down to Anna. I got this hilarious text the other day um, saying – this was just uh, the night before, the night after the first night of the auction. She said thirty thousand tonight. Huge fun, packed with peeps, and gorgeous community feel. Bought some art and a ring. Very happy. That wouldn't be Anna. If she hadn't bought a few treasures. As well. Oh yeah, she did. And a then bit she better adds, and, and then, then she adds, PS, your cushions sold. And <laughs> then I said, oh my god, I can't believe the cushions sold. And she said, re cushions. We we have an old family saying from our granny: there is no accounting for taste. So whoever has taken home my um,
0: silk cushions, good on you. Um, this, was my, this was my text from Anna on the Thursday night, which on the first night alone, I think Julia, my mother, went in and after being crushed in the onslaught getting in, picked up some lovely tea towels and a couple of other things. But Anna's text, thanks for swinging by tonight, $30,000 at close of trade, an hour after you left. And this was at about quarter past eight. <laughs> discovered Trudy, another friend of ours, in a change room. We all thought she'd gone. <laughs> she'd been in there with for hours. Beauty. She scored divine Trélies Cooper dress, pink, and rusty David Bromley-esque garden statue, totally cleaned up. Oh, look, it was just such a treasure chest. I wish I'd been
1: able to get there oh, anyway. Anna ended well up done, with Anna. some
0: Sonia, um, I think some Sonia Rykel shoes as well. Ricky L. Uh, Ricky, Yell, sorry. Well, I've I've clearly never bought any. (laughs) No, they're
1: fine. To those parties who keep dropping into the bookshop to say hi, I just want to thank you so much for visiting our friends from Upway, Hampton, Northcote, the gang from Perth who dropped in the other day, Flinders. Uh, from everywhere. I uh, can't name you all. We just love seeing you so much. Thanks for dropping in. And I just, Carol, I just wanted to mention on episode 63, of course, we had the lovely Jock Sorong author um, who came in and he received many bouquets via Instagram. The Don't Shoot Pod Instagram community just went a bit nuts, over excited about the Not picture we posted Jane of and Jock <laughs> YouTube. I needed to hose you down. <laughs> Kirsten Marie Fox said, I thought it impossible to top Kerry O'Brien, but the Jock Sorong ep was terrific. Can't wait to get the latest book. Sounds fascinating. Of course, the book we were talking about with Jock was Preservation. Which I've since finished. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's we, you and I need to workshop that off air. Juliana Claridge One said, don't shoot pod. Yeah, uh, gets more glamorous each week, especially the messengers. And Erica Murdoch <laughs> said, Oh Thank my you, Oh my cheekbones. He's just gone on my imaginary boyfriend list. Plus I love his <laughs> writing so as not to appear too shallow. <laughs> so thanks for that, Erica. <laughs> and Brilly J just said the one word spunk.
0: Which I just loved in 1970s terminology. Yeah, well, yeah, they've done it. Did did I ever tell you a story? This is such an embarrassing story. I can't believe I brought it it up. So, you know, Luke Hodge, your former captain of your football club. Yes. He came in one um, week, a few years ago, to do an episode of Footy Classified and... My darling Christina Simeone, who was a former hair and makeup girl, asked me who was anyone coming in tonight, and I said, "Oh, Luke Hodges coming in you'll like him he's he's very handsome." <laughs> And so, you know, he came in, we did the interview, but I just blah, have blah. distress potties. This is girl banter, okay, this is not this is, me and I, for someone, someone, a me too. Someone will be men. saying this is so disgraceful and if it if it was bloke saying this about a woman, it's a n it's story against myself. So, you know, we're on the panel, there's Gary, Hutchie, Matthew Lloyd and myself and Luke Hodge left, we all shook sure hands, all said thank you, good luck for whatever for the finals, can't remember. And Christina came in to redo my lippy or readjust my hair or something. And I said, I told you, isn't he gorgeous? And she goes, he's absolutely gorgeous. And then Joe Neal, the gorgeous channel nine footy show PA came in and said, mics are still on. You're still mic'd up and he's listening to you in the makeup room having his makeup taken off. Every, every time I run into Luke Hodge. From then on. no, we didn't
1: mean you. We meant someone else. He's always
0: very nice. We're always like, hi, Luke. (laughs) Anyway, off I pop. Credibility zilch. Absolutely. You so, hard I, hitting, scary when, jerk. When from, I, I bailed him up, and you? when I bailed him up about turning up late for training. Remember when he gummed the captaincy <laughs> was handed over to Jared Ruffhead and Ruffy, um actually banned him for a week. And I bailed him up at the footy, and we had a chat about it. And all the time, I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, I wonder if he remembers Christina and I. Anyway,
1: there of we go. Of course, he remembers. Carol, just finally, just an update. I thought you and Miss Jane would be fascinated by this. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the Bunning sausage sizzle. Saga, where where um, all the charities who do the sausage sizzle on Saturdays and Sundays, everyone's have well told, aware of this. Been told story. to put the onions inside the bread, not outside. Well, the CWA has weighed into the debate this week, and of course they've come, they have. and they've come up with the most clever idea. Of course, it takes a group of country women, slip the onion rings around the sausage, and then put the sausage in your little pieces of bread. That's very fiddly. It,
0: sometimes, sometimes, it looks beautiful, though, because yeah, they all, sometimes right, all, the all the onion onion wings, around. Sometimes they sort of break in half and they... Well, oh. Not if you're a CWA girl. You clearly barbecue a very good ring. Good local tip. Have you ever stayed at the CWA establishment in Melbourne? <laughs> no, but you've told me about this before. As inc- soon I don't live in the country and I'm not a member of the CWA, I don't I, think I qualify. Google it, everybody. It's incredibly cheap, and the, the Richmond Hill Apartments are another one where you can stay. It's sort of like a rooming house. You share a bathroom. Incredibly cheap, lovely breakfast, and very good digs. Oh, well, that's Just a good Just saying.
1: Um, now, uh, what else did we have to say? Um, Just, just one other thing I wanted to say about our lovely party the other day. It was a privilege to be connected with all those terrific people. And it was just great, wasn't it, Caro, to have a t- terrific bunch of like-minded women and men with us all. And, in fact, wherever you and well, I go... Being honest, there were
0: mainly women.
1: Mainly three boys, yeah. yeah. But the Don't Shoot the Messenger community out there, all the boys and girls who come into the shop and everybody who listens and connects with us and everything, we all just share, I, th- I reckon, similar values. You know, we've got a good sense of humour. Well, that's probably not in your case, but I certainly do, and I can sing and you can't. But...
0: Well, I don't have good values.
1: <laughs> no, no. <we> do. no. <laughs> I've got a great sense of (laughs) humour. I reckon I. I'll fall for it. But I just, I just think everybody is so, you know, incredibly generous. So we made the ten grand with the hundred people going, but there were people who couldn't get a ticket, and they. Still gave a hundred dollars, and a couple of people there actually gave their hundred and then gave a couple of hundred more. So
0: I just think you know hat's off, everybody, you're just all amazing. We should mention um the author of Winx, Andrew Rule, the Walkley Award winner. Oh, wasn't that was absolutely brilliant, and Jeff Slattery, our dear friend, an early a, a podcast friend from way back we uh, were both absolutely brilliant as well.
1: They were great. I loved the role that Jeff played. He was sort of a bit like the Janet Albrechtson of the side, wasn't he? You know, <laughs> oh, I mean, she, she was probably like that. <laughs> well, you know, he's a bit kind of right wing and grumpy, wasn't he?
0: I don't think he was right wing, was he? He was. Well, I'm not. There's anything wrong with that, but he was certainly grumpy. You know, he he um he held us to account. He did. <laughs> I think I think, as well, and he's always done that. So. And everybody loves your mum, Jules. So that was really nice for her to get all
1: of that applause. Uh, okay, so Caro, women in Parliament. Now uh, we do hear that Julie Bishop has decided to stand at the next election, and she's probably, I would imagine, positioning herself for some sort of you know leadership role again, if in fact the Morrison government is completely slaughtered at the next election. So um, I wonder whether, in fact, she sees that as her next step, that she'll be the last man or woman standing. Quite interesting. Yep. Um, and Peter van Ol-, Ol... How do you pronounce it? Olselen? Is that how you pronounce it? He's a coll- he used to be a colleague of yours at Fairfax. Um, he, had, he wrote a column this week um, saying, Julie Bishop's willingness to speak her mind from the backbench pushing progressive causes is presenting her as the candidate the party clearly should have turned to after Malcolm Turnbull's demise. I agree with you, Peter. I think she has been, uh, she's, we've, I think we've seen the real Julie when she's gone to the
0: back bench. Well, we should, certainly shouldn't have had a situation where that entire messy process saw her off the front bench completely. I mean, that was just simply embarrassing. Um, you, can put through, you can put forward, Corrie, a thousand reasons why the Liberals' the coalition, the Liberals did so badly in Victoria a couple of weeks ago, but clearly federal issues had a lot to do with it. You know, and another point on John Pesuto, who was, you know, obviously a very impressive candidate, has held that seat in Hawthorne, lost it to a, a man in his early 70s who, well, doesn't live in a nursing home, but lives in an aged care facility in John Kennedy, um, not the John not Kennedy. great coach, but, John but a, a And, you know, very impressive man, according to the losing candidate. But, you know, you, you look at Panuto. you look at george bush who who died a few days ago, and the way we now judge George Bush so much more generously than we did at the time because of the fact that I think politicians have gone so much down in our it 's almost like the way we look at John Howard, even labor voters look back to John Howard and liberal voters back to Bob Hawke that i 'm sure they look back at these men with a, a feeling of great affection for a time where we felt we could actually trust our politicians a lot more than we can now.
1: I agree with you, and I think also they didn't you, avoid that, all the questions. Well, I think also that even though you know Parliament has always been a you know tough and hard place, and you've got to put your suit of armor on if you're going to ever stand for um, stand for election. But it was always kind of a gentleman's rules thing. Don't you agree? I had a, a customer in the shop the other day who was quite close to Ian McPhee back in the day. And Ian McPhee, of course, got ruled by his own party in the whole pre-selection process. But he was a gentleman. And people like Fred Cheney, John Button, you know, either side of politics, there seemed to be sort of gracious debating went on, um, okay, shaking Anthony. hands afterwards. Yep. you know. And now it's just so it, – it's so um, I don't know. It's just so unsatisfying for us. The, well, you've the, got – the punter, the voter out there.
0: You've got um, Kelly O'Dwyer, who is obviously worried, federal member, Victorian federal member, who is worried about losing her seat, who's, who goes into a meeting and basically says, you know, we are seen as anti-climate change, anti-gay, anti-women. You know, she, got, she did the sort of full gamut. We've got to change. She then stood up on the same day in Parliament and gave this speech in which she, she made this extraordinary claim that the Liberal Party is a party for women. And it was such a ridiculous comment that a member of the opposition, I can't remember his name, got up and called for an extension. He said, we want you to keep talking because you are digging such a massive hole for yourself. And the Speaker said, no, don't be ridiculous. You can't do that. But that is how farcical... Things have become. And Julia Banks, who you mentioned earlier, has finally quit the party, has promised to vote on party lines up until the next election, has promised not to cause a a by election because of the way she was bullied during the leadership challenge period. And and some of the stories that were revealed in articles over the weekend, one particular article in The Australian, were just horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And then, of course, you mentioned Julie Bishop and I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but I don't doubt for a moment that she hasn't got the strength and the power to stand up and.
1: Caro, don't you just feel that you would love to see one of those Four Corners ABC docos that they do so well on what happened in that week in August? I still feel like we have had no proper
0: answers. Not just about why Malcolm was ruled. It's the first sensible question Donald Trump's asked anyone when he asked Scott Morrison about it last week. (laughs) And, you know, Scott Morrison keeps saying it wasn't us. We didn't do it you know Malcolm called for a spill I mean wasn't that stupid and you know that wasn't the point no, at all about- but the
1: whole the whole timing of everything I mean you know Malcolm Turnbull this week has come out talking about his climate change policies and energy and you know how how his ideas were being gazumped and he was holding back and he what he, he hadn't ditched the ideas well we want to know exactly what happened when I would love the timeline on some fabulous you know two or three part Sarah Ferguson touched on it at one point not long I think they pulled that t- show together really Quickly, but I still want to know. So, what happened to Julie Bishop? What, what what are the party's feelings about her? Why didn't somebody say, "Look, she is the most popular candidate out there for leader amongst the electorate"? Duh, you know, like so. Who were the misogynists? I mean, was it based on on the fact that she was a woman, or did people feel that she wasn't leadership material? There's so much I just want to know. Well,
0: Peter Dutton is clearly loathed, and um, it was the the whole saga. I think will probably. Be done. I'm sure someone will be working on it right now. And what do you think about early in the new year? And what
1: do you think about Abba's putting his hand up again, saying, "Oh, I could
0: be prime minister again." Embarrassing. Embarrassing. But Malcolm Turnbull was terrible too, to, to weaken so much towards the end and not have the courage of his convictions. Had he gone down fighting, he would have been so much more impressive in my eyes. Standing for what he originally was trying to do with the carbon emissions. Anyway, it's all very disappointing. And then we have a journo kicked out of Parliament because. Her arms are showing. Oh,
1: okay. So this—that was what, this, extraordinary. This is what I meant to do before I came in, um, Potties. I'm just taking off my cardigan um, in support of Patricia Carvelis, ABC uh, host of You've the Drive Time program. You've clearly been doing weight preparation for the wedding um, next year. No, in preparation for seeing <laughs> you and Jane today. So I am
0: now in a sleeveless. Preparation for looking at your arms the other night and.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, Going no, into this a sk- can I just tell you? This You're
0: exaggerating. Sin- You've got lovely arms.
1: No, look. Flattery will get you nowhere because I know the truth. I'm being I w- honest. I wake up to these arms every morning and the skin is a bit wrinkly and everything. However, I'm not here to show off about arms. I'm here to just say I'm here as a soldier in arms with Patricia Carvelis, I mean, honestly, she actually had more of a sleeve than I am wearing now, and Jane's not asking me to leave the studio. I found it absolutely ridiculous. I'm very glad leader of the House Christopher Pine, did apologise on behalf of the government to Patricia Carvellis, and I think reading the transcript of PK's response, I think that she was very gracious, she was angry, and she questioned uh, the official, why am I... Be-? But she went rather than, you know carrying on like a pork chop. I just thought the whole thing was absolutely ridiculous. And it is time to uh, for, for well, not just parliament, but other institutions to look at how women dress and things have changed in the last 10 or 15 years. Oh, I
0: do love a dress code, I have to say, but I think do. we just need to relax. The well, well a bit. you've spent 10 years campaigning against golf clubs' dress codes. So I knew this would be a story. <laughs> On every level, you were going to love this story. <laughs> and I went to my
1: golf club breakup last night, Christmas dinner, and about eight or 10 people there said, I remember when you used to write about, you know, dress codes. I think forever famous. I'm not so. Not, I'm not known
0: for my golf, but known for my um, activism in what women wear. Oh, someone to ask My aunt once. One of my aunts to um, that she shouldn't be wearing short socks with her shorts or, or skirt, whatever, at, at her golf club. She just tossed her head and told them to you know nick off, off your pop. Yeah, d- just completely ignored them. <laughs> anyway.
1: Carol, can you tell me what's happened with this underworld, um, underbelly? Saga. Now, I, you and I used to be very close to this when we used to share desks with Sly of the Underworld at the age John Sylvester, and of course Andrew Rule, who we mentioned last week. And in fact, dare I say, there was one particular underbelly wedding that you and I attended where, <laughs> where we were all filmed by the federal police.
0: That was a long time ago. I think but that's my a eldest story daughter might have been a flower girl, actually, <laughs> completely caught was on camera. Slightly shocked to find out later that both Brendan Remember and when- I were on an Asia. AZ- on an ACO file.
1: <laughs> Do you remember when Sly said a few days later, oh, yeah, you were all filmed
0: outside the church?
1: Oh, that's mm. not very good. For, anyway, tell, m-
0: m- more to come on that one. Can you tell
1: me what's happened? Because I've well, been in a, in a bit well, of a... Well,
0: obviously, we can't blame um, the lawyer involved, although she has been named as a woman, but it was basically a double up. There was a bit of police informing going on, as well as the fact that she was a lawyer for several of the accused, and... It's a mess. It is an absolute shambles. As far as I can tell, Corrie, this has never happened before. This has never happened before. So Daniel Andrews, uh, has, the Premier of Victoria, has called a Royal Commission. There is every chance, every chance that crooks could walk free as a result of this. Senior police, respected former and current senior police's careers and reputations are on the line. they We've heard from several senior police, some now left the police, giving interviews this week, who have said we warned some of our superiors about this. We said this was happening. Nothing was done. It, it is. It was just so. And and in fact, Sorry, this, one this
1: happened on Simon Overland's or Christine Nixon's watch.
0: Well, well, both. But I think Simon Overland well, – and even, even the current police commissioner was involved at the time, although he has been um, his superior – it has been said that he wasn't part of the decision-making process. But um, And Simon, Simon Overland is Christine Nixon's deputy. He was actually in charge of that whole yes. – Yes, so it was a Piranha Task Force at the time. Uh, Sir Ken Jones, I gather, who obviously fell out with Simon Overland, went back to the UK – and who many people think should have replaced Simon Overland. I I gather he had issues at the time. Graham Ashton, the current Chief Police Commissioner of Victoria, it has been said that he wasn't in a senior position of influence then, but he was certainly involved in the task force or in that entire issue. But the point is, there is going to be a Royal Commission. It's the sort of story you would have expected to morph, come out of New South Wales and Victoria. And it is just horrifying to think that Despite the fact that clearly the Vic Vic poll were determined determined to flush out this terrible this terrible underworld crime that was going on here, it's terrible to think that potentially, certainly theoretically, some of the crims could walk free as a result.
1: It is pretty horrifying and I'm very pleased that there is going to be a Royal Commission. Uh, it was quite interesting to see the Herald Sun's uh, front page the other day, Carol, and in fact it skipped me by, uh, which shows how accustomed I've got to this kind of language, but a friend of mine on Instagram, did Anna Corrin, did highlight this because the, the there was the big heading and then there was female barrister recruited by police to inform on gang war clients and as Anna says was the gender important can't quite imagine the copy male barrister recruited etc ever being written
0: it's really interesting that isn't it yep uh, but I think that was also in in fairness and I totally agree with Anna but I do think that um it was a way of sort of further identifying yes. without being able to identify who um, it actually was. Can we go
1: on to happier matters because that's all just a bit grim? Uh, Tasmania. Tell me about your weekend.
0: It was a beautiful weekend, Corrie. I spoke at a function on Friday at Mona, the Museum of Old and New Art, uh, one of my favourite places. And you were talking your Rembrandt 16th century art stories again, weren't you? No, it wasn't. It was. I was there to, to – I was supposed to speak about my career and a bit about um, – Tasmania's push for an AFL team, but also because I don't think they've ever had a woman speaker before. It was for the Property Council of Australia, the Tasmanian branch, um, many of whom work in Victoria. But it was fascinating. Because it was fascinating to be with property people in Tasmania because I don't know if you watched the news earlier this week, but as we know, there's a bit of a housing slump. Well, in Hobart, prices are up. Sadly, that dream home in Battery Point is probably going to be beyond me. I think I've missed the boat there, but what a beautiful place it is. So it was a great day, beautiful lunch, um, did a bit of a Q and A, spoke for about fifteen minutes, and then had and then had a fabulous weekend in Hobart and around Hobart. Went to New Norfolk to a fabulous restaurant called the Agrarian Kitchen Eatery. Did some serious damage at the Drill Hall, this beautiful antique market in this beautiful old weatherboard house in New there Norfolk. There is
1: honestly no more room in your house.
0: Yes, can you Where not say you? that in case my husband is listening, please? He was there. He, he timed it beautifully. We spent so much time at the Salamanca Market in the morning that we only got about half an hour in the drill hall. but lots Enough of to do a damage. Few Christmas presents, a beautiful little oil painting. Do you think painting. you have a problem?
1: No, Corinne. I mean, you have been known to go off to a Corrie, certain auction house each
0: Wednesday and do a bit of a shopper. I had might have left a few silent beds <laughs> before I went to Tasmania in said auction house. They kept ringing at the airport and I had to keep turning my phone off so Brendan didn't see thinking oh, hope that amount anyway, he'll be happy because I've got him income. a beautiful bit
1: more no when we were playing more no, of- the other day the was looking at the wall in your living dining area little bit of a little bit of a little a little watercolour onto it that-
0: <laughs> I've done a clear out you haven't been at my house for the last few weeks of there's been a big cult. No, I've been moving my a but anyhow of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of I feel that there is momentum here for Tasmania to get its own AFL team.
1: Oh, you go, girlfriend, led by Caroline Wilson.
0: No, it's not led by me, but I, I am a complete advocate for this happening. I think that... Jeff Kennett, for all the great work he's done since he's come back to Hawthorne, has been a bit of a divisive character. I think the government is still a bit frightened of him over there, but I think that I don't know if it's going to help him at the moment. The treasurer of Tasmania, Peter Goodwin, sort of seems to be driving this at the moment. He sees votes in it. Hawthorne and North are now clearly dividing the state. You know, one in the North, one in the South. The AFL should not allow North to have played a fourth game there. They should have established a women's team in Tasmania when they established the AFLW. Now it's a hybrid with North, really disappointing. I think that they've basically been told they need 50,000 members and $40 million to establish a team. It's not going to happen in the lifetime of this current broadcast rights agreement, which I think expires in 2022. But I think beyond that, it is now a realistic possibility. I think if they're putting the millions they're putting into Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney, they cannot say, they cannot talk about go home factor and retention issues, because I simply refuse to believe that Players won't stay in a place where they're happy and where there is good development, a good infrastructure, and good people running that football club. And if they're winning, I mean, and people... dare I say, a football culture that goes back well, exactly decades. But players didn't leave Brisbane when Lee Matthews was coaching and telling them they could be like Hawthorne one day and create a dynasty. I mean, Jonathan Brown and Michael Voss and Simon Black—they all stayed. The Scott brothers, etc. So that—that's not going to—that's not going to be be the issue. The issue is money and people, but. I think, and and Brendan Gale put it best, and Brendan Gale is a Tasmanian and gets nervous about talking about this because he's the Richmond CEO and Richmond don't care about Tasmania. Um, but he said to the AFL, I'm told, at a CEO's meeting not long ago, are we the keeper of the code or the keeper of the wallet? Oh. And if we're the keeper of the code, the answer has to be Tasmania because that way, I mean, I know that only two, a few players were Brendan, recruited. Brendan, can we vote for him to become the next... Oh well, he's certainly CEO in the CEO of box the AFL. Seat to do that. Oh, I think. I think they've. That, what they need is a Peter Gordon, a strong, wealthy, incredibly vocal and determined. Smart guy. Well, you mentioned should... Mona before. We should tap on David, David Walsh's Walsh. shoulders. <laughs> don't think his uh, diplomatic skills are what we really need. Don't think
1: that matters. He likes footy.
0: Yeah, oh, I don't know about that. I don't think he'd be right. I think the, um, the head of TT line who sponsors North Melbourne wouldn't work at the moment. Nick Revold is passionate about it and will be a great front man for the cause. And all I can say, Corrie, is watch this space. Great car. More wait. to come. <laughs> And now to
1: our crush of the week, which is brought to us by our friends at the Interchange Bench, specialists in temporary staffing and executive contracting for talent so good you wish you could keep it. Now, what's your crush or who's your crush? Now, don't get annoyed. Okay? Oh, it's not a
0: Richmond freaking <laughs> no. footballer. Well, no. Well, he did a long time ago play for Richmond, I have to admit. <laughs> oh, shoot me. Kevin Sheedy is my crush of the week. Kevin oh. Sheedy became an AFL legend really? this year. And th- this is one coach How who can you does... have in a non-football period? This is because I saw him on Monday and he reminded me why he is just such a special I person. I saw photos of that big boozy lunch. Did you? Was it put on Instagram, was Oh, it? Mark Sheeran, he just takes not photos. Not by me. He
1: takes photos everywhere he goes. That you popped up
0: with well, Peter Simonovich again. Yeah, well, Peter Samanovich, the former chief football writer of The Sun, when it was still The Sun and not The Herald Sun, was in town. He lives in New York now. Um, he... Mike organised a lunch. Mike Sheehan organised a lunch for him. A lot of footy people came. It was a wonderful lunch, and not all footy people either. Keith Hillier was there. Stephen Goff, former CEO of the MCC. Stephen Nash, from formerly of the Bulldogs, now working at West Coast. Bill Cannon, our great old friend. Greg Borm. But anyway, Kevin Sheedy was there. And Tony Jewell, another former premiership coach, was there as well. But Kevin, he looks amazing. He's lost all this weight. He looks – he must be – Oh, well, he's
1: obviously seventy. No, maybe not quite.
0: But he looks in his fifties. He looks fantastic at the moment. He's on, must be on some form of health kick. He got up impromptu and read off a china plate which he'd written on in thick black texter. An impromptu and lovely speech about Peter Samanovich and how special he was. He and I had a long talk. Well, I don't think I'm speaking – well, I sort of am speaking out of school because it was a private conversation. But I talked about – we talked about the death of Tony Peake, who had been at the, at the previous lunch that was held for Peter Simanovich. Both Tony Peake and Trevor Grant were there, both now dead, and that was only two years ago. And Ron Carter, of course, also died this year, another former chief football writer, big football name in this town. But we spoke about how the AFL lacks a lot of – empathy in terms of remembering its history, and we both agreed they'll miss Tony Peake and, um, for that reason, because he did understand a lot of the history. And um, Sheed's had some really interesting thoughts about where the AFL well, go wrong well, you in can't this. can't
1: share them, so why is he all well, about he, crush? Was he your
0: crush? He didn't share them with me either. He just was not sentimental, but passionate that to celebrate your future and do well in the future and do well in the present, you have to understand the past. And he spoke so well on behalf of Simonovic. I took a photo of the China plate with the words in black text because his handwriting was so beautiful and sort of flourishing. This is a very personal but, crush of the week. Well, it's hardly personal. He's one of the most. I suppose I've figures done my dog, football. so you can do. And Kevin Bartlett, when he he spoke about Kevin Cheaty getting becoming an AFL legend, Australian Football Hall of Fame legend, said he believed no one had contributed. No one. In the history of football, has contributed more the, to the game, and when you think of what Ken has done, I would, I would done, agree.
1: I would agree with that. So
0: there's my crush of the week, Corrie. Okay. I think that was a very good crush of the week. Do
1: you? All right. Well, I'll, I'll um, I'll, I'll and think even about though he that
0: for play award points. He did play in three Richmond premierships, but that's not why he kicked he's me out of the room. Of the he week. kicked
1: me out of the Essendon rooms in 1981. I still haven't forgiven him.
0: Now, um, BSF, which stands for Books, Screen and Food. Corrie, you've got the new William Boyd book.
1: I do. It's been out a couple of weeks now, Caro, but it's called Love is Blind, and William Boyd has been so close over the years to winning a Man Booker Prize. It is crazy that he hasn't. So he is a scottish slash English-British writer, now based in London. And this is for the people who love the historic fiction, uh, the historic fiction genre. So it's set at the end of the last century uh, – no, the century before, the end of the 19th century. Let's just cut to the chase, Cory And it is the story of Brodie Moncourt, who is a Scottish piano tuner, who ends up working in Paris because his talents are so sought after. And he is hired and acquired by the temperamental and charismatic Irish concert pianist John Kilbaron. Kilbaron has a big drinking problem, but he is brilliant and talented and he wants Brody to be his own personal piano tuner, going around Europe to all the concert halls and tuning the piano before he plays. There is a menacing agent and brother, John Kilbaron's brother Malachi. And um, then there is, of course, the Russian temptress who is John Kilbarran's Russian lover. And, of course, what happens but the young Brodie falls head over heels in love with her. So this is just a lover's doomed story. It's evocative. It's beautifully constructed. We move from Scotland to Paris to St. Petersburg. Um, it's a good yarn. Uh, my mate, Mark Rubo, of readings bookstore fame, he did say that this was one of his favourite novels of 2018. I wouldn't go quite that far, but it is a terrific yarn. I do agree. And it is um, up there with Boyd's Best, which is tough because he did Any Human Heart, Sweet Caress, and Ice Cream War. He, this is his 15th or 16th novel, I think, Kara. So it's a really good summer read. And if you are thinking of it as a Christmas present, just think if that person you're giving it to, probably more a woman than a man. If they like historic
0: fiction, this is the one for them and anyone listening to our podcast don't shoot the messenger next week we'll find out who wins our book our own your and my personal book club Brownlow, which yes. is being voted tonight. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I tell you what, it's like the Labor Party caucus.
1: There's been that much jockeying for positions on which I know, book to vote And you're for. going to
0: read a poem, I understand. I
1: am indeed. I might even sing it just to give you the shits. <laughs> I, said,
0: I said to Corrie, everyone, I said to Cory, remember you wrote that beautiful ode to book club? Well, Gina, our great organiser, found it and she wants you to read it. And Corrie said, I have no recollection <laughs> <laughs> of writing a poem. Must have been on the grog. I we, can't have been, remember. we have been going for about 28 years. I'm always writing poems. Now, Carol, what's your screen? I've got. Now, screen is a sort of a genre theme of beautiful old Christmas movies. Now, we talked last week. You mentioned Holiday Inn Oh, I've and got your David your, Stratton book, by the way. Oh, well, all <laughs> I want for Christmas. <laughs> All I want That's not the Christmas. title of it, but you said to me that I had to get the
1: copy. 101. So your husband, I could drop the hint to your husband, Brendan, if you're listening, it's in the
0: bookshop under C. Wilson. David Stratton's written a book about 101 great movies that you might might have gone gone through the radar. They never really made it famous. and it's, most It's of not us... a
1: big book. Did you know that? It's a little paperback. Anyway, there's oh, well, one good. aside for you.
0: Just extra presents for me, Brendan. <laughs> um, my, you mentioned Holiday Inn and your favourite Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. I mentioned Meet Me in Saint Louis, but one of my favourite, even though it's hot, usually hot in Melbourne or Sydney or wherever you're having Christmas in Australia, um, or in the country. I love those films when you hold up for Christmas. It's always about a a family or an interloper coming into a home. Home alone sort of thing. Yeah. Well. Well. No. Because no, oh, but the stranger comes to dinner. The yes. Stranger walks through the door. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's usually cold because they're all all the ones I've got a set in America. And the one I'm going to first mention by it was written by that brilliant pair of George Kaufman and Moss Hart. The man who came to, the man who came to dinner. Oh,
1: I love that. Monty With Woolley the, my, yes. and Betty Davis. Oh my goodness.
0: So the arrogant race. Video personality gets holed up in a in a house in Ohio. Oh,
1: yes, the dialogue is fantastic, isn't it?
0: Absolutely brilliant. So that's that's a favourite. But my two that I'm really going to talk about, both set in Connecticut, um, also made in the forties, 1945, Christmas in Connecticut, starring Barbara Stanick. This is a great film. It's incredibly corny. It's about um, a cooking show, a cooking columnist in the forties who, um, a convalescing soldier, loves her columns, and she's sort of like the uh, Martha Stewart of the 1940s. And all he wants to do is go and spend Christmas in her house in Connecticut and be with her lovely family and children and husband will her, her beautiful domestic life is a sham, but they have to try and pretend that they're that sort of family. So anyway, what happens? She's she's a real favourite actress of mine. I always thought she Barbara was fabulous. Titanic, the Lady Eve. I
1: always called her Stanwick. Well, so oh, i'm Oh, your going, mother's always mum, right. The
0: Lady Eve is one of my mother Julia's favourite films, and. Um, Double Indemnity was another brilliant one. But anyway, so Christmas in Connecticut. But the other one also set in Connecticut and not old but more recent, set in the mid-2000s, is called The Family Stone with Diane Keaton. And in that one, um, Sarah Jessica Parker goes to meet the family in Connecticut. Great cast. I saw that with you, I think. Yeah, it's got um, Claire
1: Danes. I wasn't mad on the boyfriend or the boy she marries. No,
0: well, we, well, she goes out no, with that does guy with Dermot that? Yeah. Mulroney. That's right. Yeah, who yeah, is yeah. is not a very good actor. He always looks like he should be on the cast of Friends, but he's not. It it it's actually he's um probably one of the wink weak, weak links of the film. But it is just a fantastic film, some great performances, a really great scene involving one of the sons of this family who is both gay and blind, and the way Sarah Jessica Parker sort of deals with him. But, yeah, Rachel McAdams is in it, Diane Keaton, as I said, Luke Wilson, even better looking than either Luke Hodge.
1: (laughs) <laughs> or, uh, or, Luke job, Hodge, if you haven't or, got the message yet, if you didn't hear it that r- night, you've certainly heard it now. Claire, Claire Daines, Craig T.
0: Nelson, I'm only joking. I'm just being <laughs> You are not. Silly. You and anyway. Claire
1: were perving on him and he
0: heard anyway, you. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, it, the, the 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 theme though, and, and probably, probably of all of those, a man who came to dinner was the best, but yeah. the other two are set in Connecticut. Well, so in I thought a, I'd mention them.
1: In a couple of weeks, Carol, the week before Christmas, Don't Shoot the Messenger, we're going to have a very special episode where we have two special guests with us and the four of us are going to give our best films for 2018, best books, uh, best um I think one recipes. recipe each. Oh, maybe one it. recipe. Yeah, otherwise, we could do a cookbook. Um, and also uh, suggestions of a few good podcasts as well. Um, and so that's just going to be, I think, a fabulous bonus episode. Speaking so-
0: of recipes, and at this time of year, it is fitting that you've ditched the food for the grog. And you're <laughs> going to give us that beautiful cocktail that we drank last week at our I am podcast. I
1: So um, shout out to Chad, of uh, who is the manager at the Flying Duck Hotel in Paran. And of course, when all the potties arrived, as part of their little package, they received their complimentary drink on arrival well, the girls were in a tiz about this. It was brilliant. And, in fact, I didn't have one because we were about to start talking and I would have made an idiot of myself. But I did hear it. But, it was... Because
0: you actually had a rosé. Eh? <laughs> why I you did didn't have
1: it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> and I did make an idiot of myself because I sang with Jane. Uh, but... It, and in in, I asked Chad for the recipe, which he's very kindly given, and I said, yes, well, it got a name? And he said, well, at this stage, we're just calling it the Pink Gin Spritz. He said, it's a bit boring, but we're open here at the Duck to take suggestions for a more exciting name. Maybe your potties could have some suggestions. Well, Chad, I think that's a very good idea. And today I was talking with my book rep from Hardy Grant, the lovely Mandy, about this. And she said, oh, Corrie, I've got a couple of... Um, you know, uh, gin and tonic and cocktail recipe books and things, how about we throw them into the mix and we make it a prize? So don't shoot the messengers out there. If you would like to come up with a saucy name for this wonderful drink, let us know and you might win the little package of cocktail books. Okay, ingredients. 30 mils of Beef Eater Pinkster Gin, 90 mils of Brown Brothers Prosecco, 5 mils Strawberry Liqueur, 30 mils Cranberry Juice, a dash of Lemonade, 1 Strawberry... Ice, like three or four cubes, served in a wine glass. The method is place the ice in the glass, add the pink gin, add the cranberry juice, add Brown Brothers Prosecco, add strawberry liqueur for colour, fill wine glass with lemonade, garnish with sliced strawberry, stir before serving. Um and that is most important and then most of, important of all, says Chad, you must enjoy it. Well yes they did because they <laughs> laughed at all our jokes, Chad. They clearly were upside down with their first drink. It works. It was, it was great. Did it, you have one?
0: No, I didn't. I also had a rose. I missed out, but um I did buy some. I did some serious gin shopping in Tasmania. I have to confess. Well, what did you come home back
1: over Bass McHen, oh,
0: that, and Virginia Trioli's brother runs this fabulous deli in Hobart called The Worst House, and they make their own olive oil. Oh my lord, it is the most fantastic olive oil. I bought some of that home too.
1: Oh, I can mm. feel some Christmas mm. presents coming on there, Jane. Okay, six quick questions. But before we do, what are you grumpy about?
0: This is such a first world problem, and I'm really embarrassed to bring it up, but. I am sick of when you travel, and a lot of people take domestic travel. You know how you have to now check in online? They say check in before you get to the airport. Well, it doesn't work. You check in online, you still have to line up whether you have baggage or not to get your boarding pass when you go to the thing. Often they won't let you, or if you go straight to the counter, you know, when you go through um, put all your stuff on the ticker tape and go through on the conveyor belt. It's still not good enough sometimes to just have a thing on your phone. What is the point of checking in online when half the time they don't let you and even when they do, they sometimes it up. sometimes you you get bumped off your seat anyway. I know this is going to sound such a first world problem. but No,
1: it's not a first I world problem because a lot really... of people travel for work and it is
0: really annoying. I know. it's People
1: travel now by aeroplane. It's a fact. I'm getting
0: good at, you know, I'm getting good at... Um, you know, no, what's, you're not. What's it called? <laughs> you're picking up your phone and doing,
1: you're doing punching into doing your phone. Internet you're hopeless stuff. at it.
0: <laughs> but I, I, well, it defeats me half the time. So that's well, what I'm grumpy I, I, about. I never, I never check in online. I just... You know, I'll just skip that and I'll just go to the little machine. Well, yeah, sometimes you get bumped off the plane if that happens. Anyway, Corrie, you kick off the six quick questions.
1: Okay. So, Caro, Michael Kroger, um, was he right to stand down as president of the Victorian Liberals uh, the other day? He has had two terms. One, The first one started in 1987 when he was just a little pup of 30 years of age. Topic
0: the bleeding obvious, Corrie. Of course, he was, was right to stand out.
1: <laughs> I mean, I thought you might say, oh,
0: no, no, you know, history and knowledge is a good thing. It was. Um, if you watch the Channel 7 broadcast of the state election, which was um, hosted by Peter Mitchell and my husband, Brendan, they had Jeff Kennett and they had Steve Brax and a host of others. But Jeff and Steve Brax were great TV and Steve Brax, you know, made some Fabulous points and really still. I thought up Brendan Jeff. was good TV too, just Brendan, Brendan was great. Um Jeff Kennett was called urged Michael Kroger to stand down. They had an interview confrontation later on. He was meant to go on Channel Nine, Michael Kroger, after the Channel Seven interview, but mysteriously never made it onto that interview. He was toast after that result came out. How could he possibly stay on as president of the Liberal Party when they have a result like that? He has to take a lot of the responsibility.
1: Well I think so too. And do you think federally he has to as well?
0: Oh, well, well, he's president of the Republic. Because he has Korean such influence. He has su- I know,
1: but he has such influence. They he need, used to when he was they need a with new Peter broom. Costello.
0: They need a new broom. Yeah. Corrie, was the Dutch court correct in denying a 69-year-old man a legal right to lower his age by 20 years?
1: Oh, yes, I think they were absolutely within their rights. So Emile Rattleband, who is a motivational speaker, he filed a lawsuit against the Dutch government requesting that his date of birth be switched from March 11, 1949 to March 11, 1969, thereby dropping 20
0: years. <laughs> Did you say fifty nine to sixty nine? No, sixty nine to forty
1: nine. Oh, right. Why? So, well, he. Well, what do you mean, why? Why did he want to? Well, because he felt that it was um, unfair that people could change their gender legally; they could change their name legally. So, his argument was all about identity. So, surely, one's age, he could also
0: change. So it. Even I think though he was I'm sixty nine, I'm a forty nine year old dying to get out. He sounds like an <laughs> utter idiot. <laughs> And the court did the right thing. <laughs> well,
1: I agree. But it just fascinated me. For two days, I was on the edge of my seat wondering whether the Dutch court would actually allow us to drop. I thought, I'm going, I'm going to <laughs> Amsterdam. Clearly, Hello, God. I'm really 39. You clearly
0: need to get a life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Carol, we lost Jared Ruffhead at Hawthorne as our captain this year. And when the captain of an AFL side steps down, does this usually mean it's his decision or the coaches? Tap, in, tap on in the
0: shoulder. 99.9% of cases, it is the decision of the coach, the board, the CEO, the footy boss, etc. It is very rare that a player gives up the captaincy, and usually they do it most unwillingly. I think, in the, I'm not sure about what happened with Rafi, but, um, I I know, And one example of someone who I think did want to give up the captaincy was Chris Judd in his last year or second, I can't remember which year, but one of the last years at Carlton. I think he really did want to just focus on his football. He had nothing else to prove, I guess. But um, no, certainly it is generally, generally they are pushed. Oh, harsh, Oh, harsh. Um, Not really. No, they needed to, they need, yeah, they they need to make a change. All right. Well, I'm a bit sad. Oh, okay.
1: You've got to ask me a question now.
0: Yes, are you a mince pie or a Christmas shortbread girl?
1: I'm a Christmas shortbread girl, and I'd just like to say hello to Jane Kinsman, who gave me a recipe for shortbreads years and years and years ago. And if I have spare days before Christmas, not every year, but sometimes I make this recipe, and my mother's words ring in my ears don't overhandle the dough, don't overhandle it, just keep it light, keep it light. So that's what you've got to do. My,
0: my, friend, my mother's friend, Marsley's mother, Molly Thompson, made the best shortbread I can ever remember. and Mum still, well, Marsley's still got the recipe. I can recipe. Taste it,
1: A good shortbread now, even oh. as we talk about it, can't you? But I
0: do think comparisons are odious. I mean, can't you like both? Oh. Like me? <laughs> you've got one for me now.
1: Um, well, last week I said my favourite Christmas song as opposed to Christmas carol. What's your favourite Christmas song? And now you have to sing it too. No,
0: I'm not going to sing it. Oh, but come on. When we when we were younger, mum always used to put on, dad always put on Tom Jones's Christmas album. <laughs> but mum always put on Mahalia Jackson. It's not unusual to... Beloved loved by Jesus Christ. So anything by Mahalia Jackson on that gorgeous Christmas album that Mum used to play, which I'm sure, and you know, she, she did. I know it's not. I know you're not allowed Christmas carols, but she did "Old Holy Night." She did "Silent Night." She did so many beautiful Christmas carols, and I don't care what you say. Hark the Herald Angels Sing and O Come All You Faithful. No, uh, we're
1: not talking carols. Well... Now's your chance to do your
0: Botswana thing too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wachunga Wali <laughs> Polinda. <laughs> no, Every year. No, and I don't... Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I don't know. I'm Christmas, No, I don't really giddy up. You know, what is it? Jingle Bell Rock. No, I don't... <laughs> I don't like any of those,
1: Giddy up with your jingle no, bell. I'm not
0: mad on that. What's your GLT?
1: Okay, my GLT. This is this relates to moving house again. This is the last time I'm going to talk about the fact that I've done this six times in nine years. Another tip that I realized on the day was that you need to have in your car lots of plastic bags, or these days they are probably very hard to find, but you know, lots of shopping bags and lots of little boxes that you can collect from nice bookshops like mine or other shops like supermarkets. Because if you have packers in or the packers give you the big cases, you don't want to put like your toiletries cabinet in there because it was not going to fill a big, huge case. No, that's true. And if, like me the other day, I'd sort of got out of bed going, oh, yeah, you know, the removalists are coming here at eight. At seven, they were there, good on them, and I hadn't unpacked the bathroom or anything. So I just got all my plastic bags and all my boxes and everything, threw everything like a mad woman into these little – and then when you arrive at the next house, you just take that into the bathroom or into the kitchen. I had all the kitchen, like the tea, the teapot – the Tea cozy, even they were in one little box, and all these little boxes in my car. So, just you've got to be organized,
0: but you've got to start collecting about a week out from your move. I almost bought you this beautiful sheep tea cozy at the Salamanca market, and I just couldn't remember whether you had one you liked or oh, not.
1: No, I do you remember I bought one with from the ladies at the yes, historical and you society bought, you They bought me one it themselves. Too.
0: Yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous. Well, that these ones were really nice, so anyway, so were the
1: ladies from the friends of the historic society. I like moving if I mean, in. They're they're offended in, now. Inter- they were beautiful, Ladies, Corrie. don't shoot the messenger. It wasn't me. She in, said it.
0: In terms of a, a smaller move, all the stuff you want to unpack straight away, I reckon laundry baskets are the good.
1: Oh, guys. well, you see, that's always
0: good when you've got a home for inspection.
1: Yeah, I put a, everything in the laundry basket, including the babies and the nappies
0: and the dog and everything else. I have a friend who, when he goes away for Christmas, he just puts everything in a laundry basket in the back of his car and just travels to his beachside <laughs> destination, <right>. stay <laughs> with friends, whatever. <laughs> and I, I'm a big a big purveyor of the laundry basket. I am. The back of the
1: car. Oh, I am too. So look, that's our episode for today, Caro. Uh, thank you for your company. It's so nice to have you back from the Apple Isle. Thank you, Miss Jane, for producing us, and everybody out there. Thanks again for listening. Uh, tell your friends and family to subscribe to our podcast. It really does help, especially if you rate us. I know that sounds crackers, but people do judge a podcast by their rating. So if you have five stars, like I think we do at the moment, people think, oh, well, I might have a listen. Um, feedback is also really important to us because it lets us know what you like and what you don't like. And you can send your comments and keep in touch with us via the email, which is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au or Twitter, which is at don'tshootpod,
0: or our Instagram account, which is, what is it again, Jane? Don't shoot pod. Have you put it? a picture of our live podcast on the Instagram account? Oh, I'm well, I, sorry. Were you born in the 19th century with William Boyd's protagonist? It took you a few days. I looked about two we or don't three don't days. We don't like after. to
1: overload. We don't want the potties out there to be going. Oh, not another bloody don't shoot the messenger Instagram picture. <laughs> but we have done a few. Get on. Get a, with the program, Carol, Facebook.
0: Jane's been very busy. Done amazing. Well, work. I want to. I want to see it on our Instagram because last time I looked, at it was one of your. On your private Instagram. Sure, you're not watching
1: the old Instagram, you're not (laughs) following Carol and Corrie. No, well, I mean, (laughs) don't mention the war. Thanks, everyone, and what do we say?
0: Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie.